Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Untold Immigration Podcast. You're here with Don and Brian, as always. And we have a lot of stuff we want to talk about today. And a lot of the stories where you're going to focus on seem to be changing <laughs> on a daily basis. And the news cycle is always relentless. So we're going to, we're going to touch on a few things that kind of highlight the hypocrisy of the media and how they like to change uh, the narrative and how they like to make you think something that is just simply wrong or is in a sense an alternate reality. So we'll get into that in a minute, but um, I'll check in with Don. How you doing? How you doing, Don? How, how's things? Oh, I'm good. Um, yeah, it's a busy, busy week. Um, way too much stuff going on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, and almost none of it good. So yeah, um, but you know that's why we're here to talk about it. Exactly. Yeah, definitely a, a weird time, and 2020 just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. This will not be a year that goes down as a good year. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Well, let's not dwell on 2020. I'll just get more depressed. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into it. Um, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about is a kind of a recurring theme. And I've seen this story come up a few different times. And to be honest, I don't know if it's the same guy, but it's the same theme. And this last story that I just read kind of made me want to talk about it. And this actually was from uh, August 23rd, 2020, Associated Press. Uh, author is Ricardo Torres Cortez. And this was actually republished on the military.com website. So if you wanted to find it there, you can. It's probably a little easier to find than on the AP site. But why this is important is the headline of this story says, Immigrant U.S. Marine veteran makes deportees return his work. All right. Now that headline sounds great. It sort of. <laughs> but... Immigrant U.S. Marine veteran makes deportees return his work. Okay, let's, let's forget about the deportees part for a minute. But right off the bat, it says immigrant U.S. Marine. All right. Well, if you actually read this story, what you'll find is that he is, in fact, an immigrant in the general sense of the word. But he was born in Mexico came to the U.S. as a child in the 1980s, and he was deported about eight years ago after a 12-year-old marijuana conviction was discovered during a customs check on a return trip from Central America. So <laughs> in the legal sense, this guy is not an immigrant. He was at one time, but he committed a crime. He saw a judge. He had his immigration status revoked, and he was deported. Now, forget about your opinions of marijuana, because I know that's kind of a hot topic. But the point is, he was convicted of a drug charge. You can agree or disagree, but the fact is, he was convicted in a court of law. Now, at the time he was convicted, he was a lawful permanent resident after having served time in the Marine Corps. 
Now, the one thing that they don't talk about, and it's not mentioned in the story, and I don't know the answer to this, but it says that he only served, you know, two years in the Marine Corps, which is kind of strange. That that's usually that usually doesn't happen. It's it's usually a minimum of uh, of a four year term. So there's, I don't know that this is true, but that to me sounds like he may have been kicked out of the Marine Corps early, or maybe it was medical. I don't know, but there there may be something there. But regardless, he served in the Marine Corps. His parents were citizens. Uh, they became citizens after uh, Ronald Reagan gave out the amnesty in uh, 1986. So his parents were illegal aliens, but they were given amnesty, and then that allowed them to become U.S. citizens eventually. So when that happens, because she was either a legal resident or a citizen at the time, this guy was able to derive essentially a green card from his mother or his father, but the story says his mother. Could have been either one, but regardless. So that's important because as a lawful permanent resident, that's not permanent (laughs) the way it seems because once you have a green card, it's permanent in the sense that as long as you don't commit any crime, you are allowed to remain in the United States forever, right? But the way the law is written, anyone that has a green card that commits certain crimes can be deported. Now, to be clear, if you have a green card and you get convicted of shoplifting or you get speeding tickets or you know minor drug charges, depending on what district you're in, but those aren't going to get you deported. Now, if you have enough minor convictions, depending on what they are, you can be deported. Or if you commit a very heinous crime, like a serious drug charge or murder or rape, you know, robbery, um, essentially any violent crime, you can get your green card taken away and you get deported. That's just the way the law is written. You can agree or you can disagree, but that's what the law is. So (laughs) this story goes on to talk about a lot of things and it really doesn't mention that he was deported. Now, (laughs) it also mentions that uh, it says, for now, the only way veteran deportees to illegally return to the U.S. is when their remains are brought to the U.S. for a military funeral. Okay, well, that that sounds terrible, but when you get deported, that means you're not allowed to be in the United States. So why even bring this up? Because when you get deported, it means by law, you are not allowed to remain in the United States. So, and again, if you served in the military and you get deported after that, that means that you committed a serious crime. To serve in the military, you have to at least be a lawful permanent resident. So if you're serving in the military and you get deported after the fact, you've committed a serious crime. Now, This article goes on to say, he said a visit to a Trump campaign office in Southern Nevada nearly got him arrested. So he's not counting on help from that quarter. Now, he should have been arrested, okay? Because he is likely a felon, a convicted felon, and he's been deported before, and he's admitted to coming back into the United States illegally after deportation, which is another crime. 
That's 8 U.S.C. 1326 for anyone that wants to, to look that up. So <laughs> this guy serves in the Marine Corps, which is great, but then decides to distribute drugs, a large amount of marijuana. He gets deported, and then he comes back into the United States illegally, and then he's got the nerve to try to go to a campaign office for President Trump and advocate for his cause. Well, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. And the next line in the story says, estimates are up to 1,000 veterans are exiled in Mexico. About 250 are affiliated, <clears throat> excuse me, affiliated with a unified U.S. deported veteran support group. Okay. <laughs> estimates are up to 1,000 veterans are exiled in Mexico. Do you, understand, do you guys see what they're trying to do with the language here? And this is exactly why we wanted to talk about this story. Estimates are up to a thousand veterans are exiled in Mexico. When you use words like exiled, that implies certain things, right? Exiled implies that you are forced out because of your actions, maybe against the government, right? Exile does not fit the description of these men. I'm assuming they're men, maybe women, but regardless, Estimates are a thousand veterans are deported in Mexico or have been deported to Mexico. That completely changes the tone of this story because again, a deportation is a legal process, right? An immigration judge has looked at these cases and said, no, you have committed a crime. It's time for you to return to your country. But the author of the story chose to use the word exiled which again implies that it's maybe not their choice or they took some actions against a, a hostile government. That's kind of what I understand when I read exiled. Um, so this story is just one kind of platitude, you know, after another. Um, it's, it never talks about the fact that there's a legal process for deportations. This story makes it seem as though you just have random immigration officers going around rounding up people and saying, hey, you're brown, you're going to get deported today. That's kind of essentially what they're saying. And there's, there's no mention of, like, there's no description of the legal process. There, there's nothing here that, that actually talks about what it takes to get deported. Um, and... and one thing I want to I want to add here is when you serve in the military as a lawful permanent resident, you have a lot of opportunity to fast track your citizenship. So depending on your circumstance, the normal process for becoming a U.S. citizen, a naturalized U.S. citizen, is generally between five and ten years. There's different ways to do it, but if you're kind of starting from scratch, as this guy was, it can be between five and ten years. But if you serve in the military, that process gets expedited. So had this guy actually started the process to become a naturalized citizen, this wouldn't be a problem because once you're a citizen, there's no legal way to deport you, right? American citizens can't get deported by law. Uh, so <laughs> again, he, for whatever reason, chose not to pursue his citizenship or maybe he got arrested with the drugs before that process completed, but regardless, he chose to sell drugs. He got convicted. 
and the, and the story. So because of that conviction, he can get deported. Um, and there's another line in here that really stuck out. It says, he calls the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Facility where he was held a prison. Well, what is it supposed to be? A hotel? Mm -hmm. a, a day spa? You know, this is another thing that, that a lot of these reporters like to use. They, they like to portray the narrative that immigration is a civil matter. And while that's true, you can still be a scumbag, right? You know, all the people that we've talked to that work for ICE have all had arrests of people that have committed horrendous crimes, right? So what do you expect ICE to do or Border Patrol for that matter? They deal with people from all walks of life. They take people straight out of prison that have killed people and they deal with families. So there isn't one facility that's going to accommodate that wide range of people. But at the end of the day, ICE and Border Patrol and CBP and all the other immigration agencies, they're law enforcement agencies. And the people that work for those agencies are sworn law enforcement officers that have the power to arrest people. So again, he calls the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Facility where he was held a prison. Well, again, maybe it's not a prison per se, but at the same time, it's still a jail as it should be because once you've been arrested, ICE has every interest in not letting you walk away. You know, ICE doesn't say, hey, so-and-so, Mr. Bad Guy, um, if you don't mind, would you like to stay in custody so we can deport you if it doesn't interfere with your life? Um, you know, sorry, <laughs> it, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and then there's another line in here. He was deported four months later from Laredo, Texas to Mexico. He recalled that while crossing the Nuevo Laredo, a Mexican official saw his Marine tattoos and told him, I feel so bad for you guys. Okay, well, again, so what? You got deported because you committed a crime, right? It's not the government said, hey, we're going to deport you because we don't like you. You committed a crime. So what? Right? And then this, the next line, or next to the next line, to prepare to return to the U.S., he hiked 20 miles a day for three weeks in Baja, California. He monitored patrols at border crossings and finally found a place to cross that involved him climbing a mountain. An acquaintance he persuaded to pick him up on the American side backed out, and Lopez wound up hiking for four nights and three days, avoiding U.S. and Mexican authorities and drug cartel members. Okay, so <laughs> what he's saying here, to prepare for the return to the U.S., which means crossing the border illegally after deportation, which is a crime, 8 U.S.C. 1326, he hiked for 20 miles a day for three weeks in Baja, California. Well, so what? He's breaking the law. He's attempting to circumvent the border controls of the United States. He's attempting to avoid American law enforcement. So I don't really care, right? I, I don't care about any of this, right? He monitored patrols at border crossings and finally found a place to cross. Again, they're, they're talking about him committing a criminal act as if he's saving a child, right? And then the next part, an acquaintance he persuaded to pick him up and the American side backed out. Okay, again, so what? Because guess what? That's another crime, right? 8 U.S.C. 1324. Because anytime you aid, abet, harbor, or shield from detection, anyone who you know is in the country illegally, 
you are guilty of a crime. And people get charged with this crime at the border all the time. So, and that can be as simple as if you're visiting Mexico and you have someone hop in your car and then you try to just drive across the border saying, oh, this is my relative, he's asleep. Well, guess what? You've just committed a crime. Now, the government doesn't always prosecute, but the fact is it's still a crime. So the tone, again, just to reiterate, the tone of the story is trying to make this guy sound noble, that he's trying to get back in the United States as if he was, you know, exiled wrongly against the law. But nothing in the story says that his deportation was, was wrong. Nothing in here says that he wasn't convicted of that crime. Um, it's all about, we're just going to dismiss the law. We're going to dismiss the fact that he broke the law. We're not even going to talk about the fact that this guy could have gone to an American embassy or an American consulate in Mexico and talked to one of the immigration officers that work at those facilities. Because what a lot of people don't also talk about is there is a process for people who have been deported or people who want to claim asylum or refugee status or whatever they want to claim. There is a process for them to do that at an American embassy or a consulate in their home country. So this guy, it seems, made no effort to do that. So he had every opportunity. I know for a fact that there is an American consulate in Tijuana, which is very close to the border, if you're not familiar with, with Mexico. But maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But the story doesn't, doesn't say anything about it. So <laughs> he made no effort to try to correct his situation other than coming back across the border. And the way it works is once you get deported and you cross back over, your deportation gets, it's what's called reinstated. So once you get deported, that deportation order stands for life. You don't get to just stay out of the country a few years and then come back because you feel like it. Once you get deported, that's it, right? There, there's no, I'm just going to wait and come back. Now there are, there are legal ways to, to correct that, but if you do nothing, that deportation order stands for life, right? So it's it, it's it. Like <laughs> this guy had his chance. He made no effort to 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 legally correct his situation. He just chose to come back illegally and then make a big stink about it. And then now he's trying to get other deported veterans back into the country as if it's something it's something noble, you know. I. I, like this, articles like this are they're so hard to deal with only because it's it's written from a perspective that is is not based in any reality and the reason we want to bring this up today is these stories are so common and this is just one of a million stories but you can you can see how this author is tugging at your emotions right you know there's a picture if you if anyone wants to look there's a picture on the website of this guy standing in front of a kind of an American flag mural. And I, I can't really make out all the writing, but, um, you know, if you just look at the picture and read the headline, you'd think this guy's a, a great guy, right? Doing the Lord's work, you know, trying to right a wrong, you know, trying to to get people back in the country that, you know, were, were sent out against the law. And it, it's the exact opposite. Um, and, you know, it's... It, it's frustrating to, to see stuff like this because it's this reporter really should be ashamed of himself because he made no effort to investigate 
the law. He made no effort to investigate this guy's situation. He just wrote essentially an emotional hit piece. Um, and it's, it's disgusting and it's angry. And these are the kind of stories that people are willing to take to the streets about, but yet they don't realize that they're, they're taking in the streets over a, a, a falsehood, you know, <laughs> over a, a propaganda piece. So I, <sighs> I know I kind of rambled on on that one, Don, but anything else you want to add? I, I know I, no, I, I think it's a, it's a common thread and it's not just in illegal immigration, it's other things too, but the, the common thread from the media, most of the media on this is to take a situation and make it sympathetic. So it supports the contention that, you know, in, in these cases, nobody should be deported because they, you know, I mean, what you'll hear is, oh, well, he paid his debt to society. And right. maybe he did for one crime, but, you know, the only way you can pay your debt to society if you're here illegally or if you, you know, immigrated and then there's, is to leave. There is no in-between. Right. Um, it's sort of a binary thing, but they do this all the time. So, right, you've got the, you know, this, because they were soldiers or because they served in the military, they should be given special privileges to break the law. So it's, it's okay because they, you know, because they did that. Right. Which obviously it's not, I mean, we're not, again, we're not talking about jaywalking or something, right. um, but they do the same thing. If it's somebody who's not in the military, it's, it's always, what's the angle we can find to make this person who broke the law look like they're getting the shaft from the U.S. government, right? You no, know, I mean now they don't even print a lot of these stories at all, especially when they're when they don't have that other angle. But for a while, you know, they would print the story, and it would be, you know, John Smith, who's you know a father of four, um, is being deported because he had a broken tail light, right? <laughs> Now, of course, once you do the work, it's like, no, they caught him because he had a broken tail light. That's what made them pull him over. And then they saw that he was, he had a uh, deportation order. And then you looked, what was the deportation order? Well, you know, he molested his three-year-old daughter, <laughs> you know, and whatever other crimes are. And, but none of that ever gets mentioned. Right. They just, they skip around that. And that, you know, it, it's basically journalism journalists and put quotes around that they're abrogating their responsibility to tell the entire story and and again let the you know the reader decide okay should this guy be deported or not and when you read that story that you know the one you just went through or the guy who's you know again was deported because his taillight was out and nobody tells you the crimes he committed they just tell you how you know, you get the, the standard line from the mom or the wife is always, well, he's been the one supporting our family. Who's going to support the family? Of course, they don't say that he really isn't supporting the family. The taxpayers are supporting right. the family because he's not making enough money to, you know, to do much. And, you know, you go on and on and on. And we see that even in, you know, things that aren't immigration, but want to do it. A couple of weeks ago, there was an article in the LA Times you know, this was after, you know, we got a couple of, you know, shootings that, you know, 
questionable, and I'll, I'll be fair and just leave it questionable since they have there haven't been, you know, they haven't had their legal day in court, but questionable whether or not the person should be shot. Well, this story, front page story, was uh, it was like 15 moms, and they had all lost a son or a husband by police, you know, what was labeled as police brutality because the police shot the person or killed them, whatever, over the last couple of years. And what they didn't tell you, which I, and I had to do the work myself, and I find this a lot of times, almost all the time when they do do an immigration story, which they hardly ever do, is that the, the, you know, they listed the names of the kids, you know, that were killed, you know, here's, you know, Maria Oliveris and her son Pedro was shot and killed by a police officer. So I started Googling the names. And, you know, a couple of them didn't come up at all. But the ones that did, and I, maybe I got through five or six, I didn't get through all of them, but every single one that I did Google, the story, which was also in the LA Times from a couple of years before, was very, it was very obvious from the story that this guy, that the police were totally justified to shooting him. Right. I mean, there was one story where there were two guys in the car, one hops out and immediately, you know, he's got his hands up and immediately lays down on the ground with his hands behind his head. And then this guy gets out of the car shooting and they, so they shot him. Right. But none of that's in the story. So if you read this story and you weren't aware of this, crap because you and I are because we see it all the time but if you're the average person that's not aware of that you're like oh these police they're so terrible what are you know what are they doing well that's that's irresponsible journalism right totally and it's the same thing you and I were discussing the story of the the woman who had if I get all that I mean I may be off by a year I think she came here in 2004 illegally was caught, admitted that she was just here to work. Um, you know, fast forward to 2020, and they're now deporting her. This is, and I'm reading the story, and you know, she's got two or three kids, and they're of course citizens, and they make her look like, you know, and she, she talks about how the Obama administration, you know, she was she showed up for her meetings every time that she had to check in. Right. Yeah. But what they didn't tell you was, you know, so they tried to make it look like, why did the federal government allow this woman to stay here for 16 years? And of course, now the big bad Donald Trump wants to deport her. Right. She hasn't, you know, she hasn't committed any other crimes. Uh, but she was the one, you know, once you get to the end of the story, or not, not the story as it's written, <laughs> when you do your own research, she was the one that kept stretching. She should have been deported in 2005. <laughs> Right. After she got here, she kept stretching it out and stretching it out. We just had the DNC convention where they were, you know, honoring, not honoring, whatever, featuring this woman. And of course, she's being deported now, blaming it on Trump. Well, the story, of course, is she was originally deported by Clinton, came back in, felony. Right. Yeah, I'm looking at looking at the story now. And Obama, the Obama administration, you know, whatever hearing she had, they issued the deportation order. And it's finally come to pass that it's okay, here she is, let's get her out of here. 
and somehow that's Trump's fault. <laughs> right. And you know, so that I mean, but again, they never told any of that story, and I wouldn't have expected them to tell it at the convention. <laughs> But I would certainly expect the news media, and matter of fact, I think it was Michelle Obama was given that story. Maybe I'm wrong, but, but but that's the media's job to say, wait a minute, this isn't how it happened. And just to, you know, to cap that off and turn it back to you, is they were fact-checking, you know, CNN was fact-checking Donald Trump and what he was saying at, at you know, the Republican convention the first two days. And I don't have a problem with that. That's, the, that's what journalism are, are supposed, journalists are supposed to do. But when, he, when they asked him, this was uh, Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, why, did, why are you fact-checking him and the Republicans, but you didn't fact-check the Democrats? And his response was, well, because we know he lies more. Well, that may or may not be true, but it doesn't matter. It's not like, okay, you don't have to fact check the people that lie less. You only have to fact check the people that lie more. No, you're a journalist. You're supposed to fact check everything. So, of course, that story that I just mentioned, they should have said, this is bullshit. This is not what happened. Yeah. And, and, and again... It was, you know, and it's the same, oh, no, um, Michelle Obama's story was blaming Trump for the cages and, and oh, yeah. yeah, which were built by her husband. Yeah. And nobody ever said, well, wait a minute, Michelle, <laughs> your husband built these things, not Donald Trump. And he, they used them too. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, they take sides. It's a, like I said, it's a common theme of, everything um, that they, you know, and that's not what they're supposed to do. Yeah. They're, supposed to tell the tr they're, they're supposed to tell the story, give us the facts that matter and let us determine whether or not, you know, or how we should re respond to that story. Because I've, I mean, I've read some stories about illegal aliens and I, and I thought when I was done, okay, well, there's exceptions to every rule. And yeah, the person should have been deported, you know, right when they first caught them, but we didn't. And now maybe they've been here for 20 years. And, you know, is it right to deport them now if they haven't done anything? Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But you can certainly think about it. Right. But you can't think about it if you're not told the truth about yeah. what the person's really done. Well, there is, <laughs> you said a lot of things that I, I want to kind of touch on because <laughs> um, I, I think it's important. And, you know, the, the one thing that always strikes me when you say, you know, that we're deporting people that – They've been here for 20 years and, you know, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. Okay. I, I, I will concede there probably is some merit to that, but what people forget about is you have these mayors and governors in these major States forcing ice out of the jails and impeding ice doing their job on a day-to-day -day basis. Right? So, if you're going to prevent ICE from accessing the jails and accessing the hardcore criminals in your state, well, who's left, right? ICE is in the business of removing illegal aliens from the country, right? So I'm not necessarily in favor of letting people stay just because they, they, they hit out long enough. But if you live in California or New York or Chicago, for that matter, and actually in LA County, they just found out. There are 25,000 criminals that Sheriff Villanueva refused to turn over to ICE, right? 
So if you had a choice of going after the guys that have convicted, that have committed crimes and been convicted or someone who's been here a long time, well, yeah, get the guy that has a more serious criminal history. There's no doubt, but these states are making it harder to do that. So it's like, okay, well, you don't want to give us the criminals. So who's left, you know, we're still going to go after people that are here legally that have, that have violated the law. Um, and, and that's, I think overlooked, but the one thing that I don't think people realize when you're talking about deportations, and, and this is something that's left out of every story is that once you come into the country illegally, if you choose to, to fight your case, right. And I'm using air quotes, but if you choose to fight your case, you can conceivably drag out your deportation for 10 years, right? It doesn't happen all the time, but it's possible because the people that I talked to, the way they explained it to me was what these guys will do is they'll ask for a change of venue. They'll ask for an extension. They'll ask for anything they can to delay the process. And unless you're in immigration custody, you're on what's called a, a non-detained docket. And the reason that's important is those non-detained dockets are two, three, four years out. So what the scam is, one is just to get here, and then two, do anything you can to drag out your case, because they know that if you can get past the 10-year mark, you qualify for what's called a, a physical presence waiver, right? So everybody knows the scam. Everybody knows how to work the system. So it's in the illegal alien's best interest to drag out their case as long as possible, because the longer they drag their case out, the more likely they are to get that waiver, and that's what a lot of them try to get. And then on the off chance that they actually get deported, then they apply for a BIA, which is a Bureau of Immigration Appeals. So that's the first level of appeals to say, I was ordered deported, but it wasn't right because of whatever. So that takes six months or a year or two years or whatever. And then after that, then they go to the Ninth Circuit and they appeal to the Ninth Circuit. And they say, even though the BIA said my immigration order is legitimate, I still don't agree with it. So now I want the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to actually look at that. And that takes six months, a year, if not longer, right? So, you know, the, the deportation process doesn't happen overnight. And I, I think a lot of people don't understand that. I think they, they think that people get arrested and they get deported in a couple of days. But it, you can certainly do that, but you can choose to drag your case out. And just like that lady that spoke I don't know if she spoke or not, but the, the one they were talking about at the DNC this year, it's like she was deported in 1998, you know, under Clinton, <laughs> rearrested and deported in 2013 when Obama was president. I, I think you said that. And then, <laughs> and this is a quote from the story, Alejandro Juarez successfully re-entered, successfully re-entered the United States illegally <laughs> at an unknown time after her first deportation, according to ICE, she was arrested again in 2013. She ultimately left the U.S. on a commercial flight in 2018 under President Trump. Okay, so it sounds like, you know, she she probably is out of the country right now, but she was being held up. I mean, think about that. Like, think about how crazy that is. <laughs> the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, is using a pre a multiple times deported illegal alien to say, you know, immigration enforcement is bad, right? And they were, you know, oh, she has kids and this and that. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So what if she has kids? I mean, it's a shame. But if she got deported in 98, she knew that she couldn't be here, right? So she chose to come back, right? Like, you got deported. You don't, you can't legally be here. 
but then you choose to come back and then have kids and then get upset. You get deported again because you have kids. <laughs> it's like, well, no, 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 it, it, it doesn't work this way. And, and so finally she was deported in 2018. Well, her deportation in 2018 really had nothing to do with president Trump. And to be fair in 2013, it really didn't have anything to do with Obama either because Obama did try to, to stymie immigration enforcement. But the one thing that he really didn't mess with too much was the, the deportation of people that have been deported previously. Uh, he did put some things in there about if the deportation was multiple years ago. And I, I, someone explained it to me one time and I forget exactly what it was, but he did mess with immigration enforcement a lot, but he didn't go too far against um, stopping deportations that of people that were previously deported. So he didn't have anything to do with her deportation. It was the law. It was a process. She came in illegally. She was arrested by ICE, it looks like, and she was deported. And they're making her out to be some kind of martyr. It's like, no, you're, you're not. You're, you're not a martyr. You broke the law. There are consequences to that law. Now, we can talk about the law itself, and we can talk about changing the law, but just because you don't agree with it is not a reason to ignore it, right? There are plenty of us that can probably think of a hundred laws that we don't like, but just because we don't like the law doesn't mean we get to ignore it. And, and I think that's, you know, a big part of this too, is that it's like, okay, you're upset with Trump, you're upset with Obama. Okay, but the president doesn't write immigration law. The president enforces the immigration laws that are written by Congress. So at the end of the day, if you're upset with immigration law, are you going to be upset with Trump, with Obama, or are you going to be upset with Congress? Because Congress has the power to write these laws. Congress has the ability to write any immigration law that they want for the most part, but they don't do it. They always try to write amnesty laws or they try to, they throw in other laws or other bills in with immigration bills that make it impossible to vote for it. So, you know, you can blame Trump and blame Obama, but Congress is, is often left out of this argument and Congress is the one that writes these laws. So, you know, for anyone out there that's upset with Trump or any of that stuff, it's like you have to um, – you got to look at Congress, you know. That's – people don't seem to understand that, and it's frustrating to me because people seem to forget how government is is supposed to work. Um, so that's my rant on that. <laughs> well, you know, you, you brought up an interesting point when you said, you know, people think that, yeah, people are – you know, detained and, and deported, you know, within minutes. And this isn't really, quote, journalism. This is more just, you know, general media. Yeah, you know, somebody's watching Law and Order and you see the murder, you see the, they find the person, they try them, you know, all in two days. <laughs> but the public knows that that's not how it works. They, they're very aware of that. But to give you an example, I started, I, I had to see what this show was. There was a show back in the 90s called Party of Five. And it's, a, you know, it's just a drama, drama, maybe a comedy too, but a drama. And they rebooted the show last, I think this was the end of last year. But this time, the family of five were, the, the parents were illegal. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the, three kids, one of them um, was here with DACA and the others were citizens. 
So the parents, you know, the thing starts out, the parents own a restaurant, um, very successful restaurant. And, and of course they talk about how they don't hire anybody who's illegal, but then as soon as somebody sees that there's ICE agents across the street, you know, all the help in the kitchen goes running out. But that wasn't really the, the, the but the story was when the, when they, now they've been there 20 years. They've been in the country 20 years. And according to the show, they've never committed a crime other than, you know, coming in illegally and of course right. driving without a license and things like that. But when you talk about why, why people think this happened so fast, so the three kids, it was actually four kids. Let me think, one, two, three. Yeah, there were four kids because they had just had a baby too. The oldest kid was maybe 23 or 24. He was the one who had DACA. And then the other kids... Um, ranged, you know, one in high school, one in grammar school, and one was a baby less than a year old. So the ICE guys come in, they haul off the two parents, the kids are now on their own living, you know, living in the house, um, running the restaurant that they have. <laughs> and like a week later, there's the, the parents have a hearing, they lose their hearing, and a day later they're deported. But that doesn't happen. <laughs> right. It just doesn't happen like that, especially, you know, the circumstances that these people had. But if you're watching this show and you don't know, and there were a million other things in the show, too. I was trying to get a hold of the producer, but never had any luck. It's like, you know, it's OK. It's we know it's not a true story. But you got to be somewhat now, obviously, <laughs> It's not a great story. The whole story falls apart of having the TV show if, yes, the parents are, you know, arrested and then they're released. And then for the next 20 years, right. they, nothing happens and they stay there. Um, well, okay, you just blew the whole story. But again, because this is an issue that people don't know the nitty gritty detail, you've now got people, how, even though it's, you know, fiction, how could you? deport the mother and father when they have a little baby and they have a seven-year-old girl and, the, and they've been honest and they look at all the people they've hired and they've got a business and they pay taxes and you know all the same crap that that's meaningless. So of course people are going to think that. So whether it's a true story of, or the story is true, maybe not the way it's portrayed of this Marine who was deported um, for committing a crime or, you know, all the way down to fiction. And this is hardly the only one. It's just a constant, we're going to tell a story the way we want people to believe it happens, not necessarily, you know, the way it happens. And, and that's, you know, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And then of course they want, you know, people will then say, well, 72% of the people want all the, people here illegally to be given a pathway to citizenship. And, you know, if you ask them why, they'll tell you, well, they work hard, they pay taxes, they support themselves, they grow the economy, they don't commit any crime. Right. Excuse me, none of which is true, but that's what they believe. So, yeah, okay, I'm surprised it's not 98% of the people want them to stay here. And, you know, I'm waiting for, you know, when are we going to, you know, find the illegal alien who, oh, this guy is, you know, he cured polio, you know? Right. Wasn't that Jonas Salk? Well, you know, it was really well, Juan Salk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so, I think, yeah, 
yeah, you're, you're totally right. And I think, you know, the problem that, that we have is that the media doesn't want to listen to anything. They have a narrative that they're trying to promote and they're not interested in, they don't necessarily, and I don't want to say, I don't want to insinuate that I want them to agree or be on our side or any of that stuff, but the media has shown almost zero interest in actually learning the, what the law is and the way things work. Cause I, I know you've written countless reporters and I know I've written a few too. And you can write the most factual unbiased letter possible to, to most of these guys and they don't respond. You can say, you're wrong about this. You're wrong about this. Here's the law. Here's this. And they don't respond. They don't care. Um, so they, they have no interest in, in learning the truth. And, you know, I think, <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but the administration hasn't done a great job of explaining things either. And I know Trump has appointed some people that are actually pretty good. You know, Tom Holman was, was amazing, you know, for, for explaining things, but you know, I think I, I hate to say it. I think part of the problem is Trump gives the other side an opportunity to tear down the argument because of the way he frames it and the way that he presents himself, even though I understand what he's saying, even though I know what he's trying to say, he, he says it in such a way that is kind of ham fisted and, <laughs> you know, it, it, people end up arguing over how he said it instead of, you know, what he said. And, you know, there's a, there's a void there. There's a void for information and the, the left and the politicians and the media, <laughs> they're all more than willing to jump in because there's so many people that benefit from uncontrolled illegal immigration that they have a huge incentive to keep the system going. You know, the, the media, they like the clicks, they like the animosity, they, they like the constant bickering online. The politicians obviously get benefit from it. Um, and then what I think is even worse, and this is off topic a little bit, but it kind of feeds into everything, is that you have all these companies behind the scenes that get paid by the government to administer to the problem. You know, whether they're providing, you know, food or, or clothing or they're providing housing or whatever it is, you have all these random church groups that pop up and they get tens of thousands of dollars for these people. And it's like, we're, <laughs> you, you can't tell me that a company that's going to get several thousand dollars per person is not going to do something behind the scenes to try to promote more people because it's a payday. And this is kind of an anecdote, but you know, in, in talking to people, I had the opportunity to talk to a few border patrol agents at, at one time and I can't verify this, but I heard two different people tell me the same story. So I, I tend to think it's true, but these guys told me that the aliens that they were encountering from central America were telling them that there were people down in Guatemala and Honduras paying them. They were paying the people in those countries, $500 to go to America. Right now I can't verify that. I can't prove it, but that is a story that I heard. And if you think about it, those same people that are coming from Central America with kids are the same ones that we have to house and we have to administer to. And those church groups that administer to those people, again, get, I forget the number, but I think it's 75 or $10,000. It's a huge amount of money 
for each person. So if you stand to make $10,000 per person, you can very easily spend $500 ahead of time <laughs> as an investment to, to make the problem worse. And, and that, but that does kind of tie into what we were talking about in that the more people you have flooding into the system, the longer everything takes, the longer it, it drags out. And, and I don't think people realize that either is that the immigration system can only process so many people at one time, whether it's the immigration court or whether it's, you know, CIS, whatever the, the agency is, there are only a limited number of employees. There are only a certain number of immigration judges. And when you start to go into the system with all these different benefits and all these loopholes and everything else that's out there, it takes years for a person to work their way through the system. So, you know, I don't, I, I want to mention that because that's, that's important. You know, people come here, they come here illegally because they know once they get here, there's one, a slim chance they're going to get arrested. And two, even if they do get arrested, it's going to take 10 years for the case to work through the system. And you and I know that the majority of people that come here illegally, their first thing they do is start having kids. And they think that it's going to keep them from getting deported. And if nothing else, they get paid, you know, and I know people don't like it hearing that people don't like when we say that, but you know, in a state like California, if you come here illegally and you start having kids, you get the welcome mat. You get free healthcare, you get welfare, you get food stamps, you get housing, you get free education, you get um, in-state tuition, you know, when you get to college, uh, you get scholarships, you, you get everything that these people don't have in their own country, the city of California gives, them for, gives it to them for free just for coming here with illegally, and they get protection from ICE, and they get driver's licenses now. It, it's Well, but the, the, the problem is it's too profitable for the people that are, that are giving this to them. I mean, if you're like, you're talking about the, you know, the, the agencies and the money that they get, but even the politicians, they, you know, if, if, if we'll see what happens, if Trump can get away with not counting illegal aliens for apportionment reasons, at the very least, California will lose a couple of uh, Congress seats, congressional seats. And if they do, the odds are pretty clear there'll be Democrat seats, <laughs> Democratic yeah. seats. So they they have a you know a uh, real interest in making sure that those yeah. those people keep coming in. Down the road, they become an annuity when they have kids, and then the kids right. start you know getting old enough to vote. Forget whatever illegal voting. We're just talking about what's considered legal things. Um, there's not enough of a that that this people don't. This is where the knowledge is such a problem. The people don't have the knowledge to say to their representatives, "Why are you doing this?" Right. Everything about it, they believe the wrong thing. They don't believe they cost us any money. And again, I mean, I just rattle through all that stuff with crime, whatever. So they don't see a reason, except you're a racist or a bigot or you're mean or you're this or you're that. One thing I, want to, I want to jump in there real quick because I wanted to say this earlier, but for anyone that thinks that anyone out that doesn't think that illegal aliens commit crime, I want you to Google Sheriff Villanueva and 25,000. Right? Right. <laughs> it'll come up because what that means is ICE 
wanted to take into custody 25,000 illegal aliens that were in the LA County jail system, right? So that means 25,000 people at a minimum got arrested. So that's 25,000 crimes that were at least charged or people were arrested for. Now, not everybody got convicted, I'm sure, but the fact remains 25,000 people in Los Angeles County, and I believe that was, I think, a year, if I'm not mistaken. I, I could be wrong, but it was a very brief amount of time. So explain that to me. If, if, if people really think illegal aliens don't commit crime, then how in the hell did 25,000 of them escape ISIS capture? Because they weren't 25,000 grandmas. They weren't 25,000 people <laughs> selling fruit on the corner because L.A. County doesn't arrest for that stuff, right? You don't go to L.A. County jail for selling fruit on the corner, right? In California, yeah. you have to commit a serious crime to go to jail, right? So and, and, not, and none of them were arrested because they're here illegally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, even more <laughs> so. right? And, and to take it a step further, I, I kind of hijacked your point, but I, I wanted to cover this real quick. But that's 25,000 people that ICE knew about, considering ICE doesn't have access to the LA County jail system. So that's not including all the illegal aliens that pass through that system that ICE doesn't have a record for. So we can get into that another another day, but just think about that, right? So anyone out there that, that doesn't believe that they commit crime, 25,000 escaped ICE's capture, right? And I can, from the people that we talked to, I can tell you there's no way in hell ICE was able to round up 25,000 people out on the street because when you, step, when you have to go out on the street to pick people up, it's an entire process. Now, I still does it, and they do a good job at it, but they're not getting 25,000 people. So 20,000, 22,000, 23,000, essentially fugitives from federal law are roaming around the streets of L.A. County. I mean, that should make anybody upset. And considering what a disgusting hellhole most of Los Angeles County is now, I, I, I don't understand why anybody would be in favor of that. But uh, people have lost their minds. Well, let me, I'll, t I'll take it a step further because nobody, yeah, or let me rephrase that. Rarely does somebody who commit a crime, it's the only crime they've committed. Right. And if you look at that GAO study that came out in 2018, but was 2011 through 2016, they calculate, this was California, but you know, sure it's, probably pretty similar everywhere, but this was California nonetheless, that 20, um, 20 of the people that, had, that, that were in California prisons, the average number of convictions, not charges, convictions was six. Right. So that means that these, these, these you know, 25,000 people were responsible for 150,000 or they would have been responsible for 150,000 crimes that they were convicted of. That doesn't count how many charges were dropped because they plea bargained. That doesn't count the things that nobody ever knew they committed. So you're talking probably 300,000 or more crimes right. that these 25,000 people committed. Um, and right, and then you're saying, oh, well, they don't, commit any crimes. And again, yeah, that's just Los Angeles County. Right. That's not, and I'm guessing, you know, would that, that would include the city, I guess. 
Well, not everybody, not everybody my, from the city, because some of them don't go into the county jails. Right. My the way that I understand that is LA LAPD LA City almost never cooperates with ICE, so I don't think that LAPD has been turning over anyone to ICE for a long time, but generally the way it works is if someone gets arrested by LAPD, they may get booked into an LAPD station for a short amount of time. But if the crime is serious, they will almost always get transferred to an LA County jail. Right. um, Because they have to go see a judge. Now, if you commit a minor crime like shoplifting or, you know, maybe a vehicle infraction or something like that, you may go to an LAPD station and then get released from there. But, uh, you know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about people <laughs> from LA <laughs> County jail, right? So serious crimes, but you know, LAPD, they've long been a sanctuary agency. LA County is now a full bore sanctuary. Um, you know, I, I'm not real familiar with, with the process of those two agencies, but from what I've, from what I understand, I, that's, that's the way it works or used to. Right, um, and according to Villanueva, when he releases these 25,000 people, that will reduce crime. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. because people are calling in and reporting crimes. Yeah. And if they didn't release them and they have reported, they would stop calling in. And, you know, of course, if you just, you know, I mean, I don't know how many people get caught because somebody called in and reported on them, but it's probably other than if you're the crime victim, the number is probably very, very small. Well, and the other thing that he said too, um, I know I, we could spend a whole episode on crime, but I really, what he said, which is really frustrating because he said it a bunch of times and other, other people have said this too. Like I think Lightfoot in Chicago and maybe even Cuomo, but it, it's a recurring statement. Villanueva said, well, if ICE would just go get a judicial warrant signed by a judge, right. I would have no problem turning them over. Okay. Again, this is what well, this is why we wanted to talk about this. That statement sounds great, right? And I'm sure he focus grouped that or somebody focus grouped it and said, this is what you're going to say. Because for the, someone that doesn't know what's going on, if you heard that, you would say, yeah, that makes sense. I should just go get a, a warrant signed by a judge. I, I agree with that. But the fact is, there isn't a judicial warrant signed by a judge that exists that ICE can go get to do that. And when you're talking about immigration, the way the laws are written, there's no need for that. The immigration laws are written as such that there are documents that ICE issues that basically say, we want to take custody of this person, notify us before that person gets released, and we will come get them. Now, that's kind of up in the air, certain, (laughs) they've changed the forms, they've changed the process. So I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. But my point is, when you hear someone say, well, I should just go get a signed judicial warrant, that document doesn't exist for, for most immigration enforcement. Now, if you're charging someone criminally, then yes, you can get a judicial warrant from a judge. But ICE doesn't charge every illegal alien with a criminal offense. Most 98% 98% probably from what I've read are their administrative arrests and there's a legal process for doing that. But Vienna wave is just ignoring that and saying, we'll get a criminal warrant. Well, 
okay, he's saying that because he knows ICE is incapable and the court system is incapable of processing 25,000 criminal, excuse me, criminal uh, cases. I, I would argue that if you were to look at the numbers of the, the federal court in Los Angeles, right, that federal court probably doesn't process 25,000 criminal cases in 10 years. And that's all federal crimes. That's not just immigration. So the idea that ICE is supposed to put 25,000 illegal aliens into criminal proceedings is, is physically impossible. ICE cannot do that. The DOJ cannot do that. The federal court system cannot do that. So that's why he's saying it. He's saying it because he knows it can't be done and it won't be done because the legal process for immigration was not set up that way. And that's how evil these, these people are, is they, they know exactly what they're saying, but they're using words to make you think that they're doing things the right way. And the media is complicit in this. The media would say, well, explain that process to me, Sheriff Inueva, but they never do. They just go along with the lie. They say- Because, because they probably have explained to them off camera and they know, and that's the thing, the sheriff and the politicians, they know they're not gonna be challenged by the media. That they are, that they're willing to speak to, and they're and that they'll show up on their TV shows, because yeah, that would be the first, you know, that should be the first question that well, maybe not the first, but that should certainly be a question that, that a reporter would ask him and say, well, I've done some work on that. That you're asking them to give you something that doesn't exist. Right. The immigration laws established this process. Right. So you're asking them to go outside the legal process to do something that doesn't exist anyway, instead of using the process that's been set up by Congress to deal with this. Right. But they know they're not going to be asked that question. And, and it is a, you know, it, it's a, you know, the problem with these things, when you lie, <clears throat> it's very easy to lie. It's much harder and it takes a lot more words to explain the lie. Right. <laughs> and, they know people have a short, so between them, the, the most of the media won't ask you that question, and you won't appear on any shows that do. And people have a short attention span; they don't want to hear all the little in, intricacies of of these things. That that's why they say it. They know it's the same thing when they say about people won't call. Well, you're saying that, but you have nothing to back right. that up. That, that people won't call or that even know a crime, you know, has been really been committed, but it sounds good. Right. And, and, and you're telling people for the most part what they want to hear because they've already been conditioned to believe that these are all good people that we're trying to harm somehow. And look, and the thing that makes it more complicated, many of them, not the 25,000, but many of the people that are here illegally, I would describe them as good people that have done something wrong not and not committed another crime. I'm just talking about the ones that came here and, you know, were eliminating driver without a license and stealing IDs and a couple of those things, but they're not, they didn't come here and they're not, you know, beating people up and burglarizing them and, and this and that. And, you know, and they, you know, it's, so it's, it's an easy story to tell. It's much harder to tell that about MS-13, right. which is why the LA Times just doesn't tell any MS-13 stories because it's not an easy story to tell. So they just ignore it. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's depressing. Well, I think on that, well, <laughs> on that bombshell, 
that's probably a good place to end for the day. Um, so yeah, in, in closing, I think the, the point of this show today was, was really just to, to remind everybody that the media lies and, you know, the, depending on what, what outlet you're looking at, sometimes they're not going to give you the full story. All right. And that can be just as, as evil, you know, and some outlets just flat out lie. So, you know, whatever news story you're looking at, regardless of what it's about, but in particular immigration, because that's what we're concerned with, don't ever take anything at face value and, and do your research and get multiple sources of, of information. Because even the, even the news sites that are, say, conservative, maybe pro-enforcement leaning, they don't always give you the whole story either. And they always leave out some of the, the more important details as well. So please just do your research, understand what you're reading and understand that the media is not your friend. They're not there to educate you. They're simply, it's become, it's become propaganda and it's become ratings. Really. <laughs> I, I pains me to say that, but I think it's true. Um, and I think every time we do one of these shows, I think we prove it. You know, I don't think the media is doing anybody any favors. They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in in telling an unbiased story. It's it's just about propaganda. It's about ratings, and it's about making people believe the way that they think you should believe, which is is really horrendous. And I don't think that anyone would ever have thought the press in the United States would get to that point. But it seems like we have. What I was going to say is, we're I think we're way past that point of what the media is, you know, willing to do. Um, to, we're past the point where you can't even call them journalists anymore. They're uh, public relations people for whatever side. But good show. And, um, you know, we'll go to the next one yeah. next week. <laughs> Likewise. So <clears throat> that's our show for this, uh, this week. Um, thank you, everybody out there for listening. As always, we'll... Um, put what we talked about in the show notes and please do your research and we will, uh, we will talk to you soon. This is uh, Brian saying signing off for uh, Don and we will uh, talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to rate and review us in your favorite podcast. Player. And please be sure to check out the show notes for any information you might've missed. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody.